Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots to learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. This is not only one of the pilots that I most admire in the world, but this is one lady who has shown not only boys and girls how to fly, but big grown men and made them cry. And uh, she is fantastic. She is flying since 1993. I do remember meeting Petra in uh, the Baskidi Mountains along with Thomas Lenyik when I very, very first went and visited Petra Recek and my very first trip to Zlin and to the to the northern mountains of, of Czech Republic. Uh, she came from a kayaking background, and in 1993, Petra decided to try this thing, paragliding, because her friends were doing this thing. And today, it gives me enormous pleasure and a huge honor to, on this podcast, introduce Petra Slivova. Hi. Hello. Hello, Steph. Hello, everybody. Thank you for inviting me for such a great project. I hope you like the project, uh, Petra. It's really something for lockdown, something to keep me busy because I'm somebody who gets very quickly impatient and making us more scratch in the stone. Maybe something that somebody learns from, something like that. And you started paragliding in 1993. Tell us about those early years. How the hell did that happen? Yeah, well, when I started, my friend just came to me and said, yeah, we go for paragliding course. Would you like to join us? And I said, yeah, well, paragliding, I had no idea what is it. I missed it with the base jumping. So I said, it sounds interesting, so let's go. And then we arrived to small hill in Czech and uh, Rana, that's quite famous hill, really like hundreds, not even 150 meters high, I think. Yeah, we spent wonderful week. But after this week, I realized that this, this is really interesting thing, flying and even we flew just the, from the top to the bottom, but it was still something amazing. So then I decided to keep flying and I was kayaking less and less and then I decided to switch completely for paragliding. And then I understand that I need to buy a new wing. So I bought a... Um, the Magpara Nirvana, which was yeah in like 1994, it was really great wing, and that's how I started flying. Then I visited some competitions. On my first competition, I made my first thermal, because in that time it was not really usual to thermal. It was like soaring was something what the instructors they knew, and uh, yeah, they heard about how to thermal. So when we learned, we didn't have much uh, things which we knew from the course. So we learned everything between the people and in the competitions. So in my first competition, I flew like 15 kilometers and that I was big hero. So yeah, then I, it took me really long time to get uh, the way back to the, to the hill <laughs> to find the way. And since then I decided it's, it's, really great thing and I want to do this and the rest of my life was in in the in this direction <laughs> ah, and absolutely and uh, you're somebody who's obviously very focused very disciplined uh, even if you don't 
appear it like that. You're always smiling. You're always happy since I know you. You've always got such a positive and great way about you, Petra. Congratulations. And it's if I look at you, I see actually somebody very similar to me in that we are not completely, I don't know, maybe I'm guessing about you, but I, you don't appear to me to be somebody who is like, everything is always in a row. Your life is quite relaxed. You have two beautiful ridgebacks. You live in the mountains. You have your son. But you're not a complete disciplined person. How do you do? What's what's in your head to make you fly so nicely? Yeah, well, for my life, I'm like, yeah, it's you're exactly right. I'm not really disciplined. <laughs> and um, I should have pleasure. And once, if I have a pleasure from something, then I can do it really a good way. And I can, like, do a big things. But I should have a pleasure. So it's the same with all the things in my life which I do. Like with the school, I didn't like it that much, so I didn't finish the university. But <laughs> but yeah, for flying, for the sports, for the skiing, I'm the ski instructor. And yeah, in winter, I have a great job as a ski instructor with little kids. And it's it's giving me the pleasure. It's like I really enjoy if, if I can also give the pleasure to the other people. And with flying, it's the same when you have friends and you can spend the time with them and you can have a good time in the air it's it's just the thing which i really love and then the the results are coming <laughs> your colleague at work torsten siegel said a very very similar thing to me yesterday and it seems like actually over somebody who's highly disciplined and doing all sorts of chuck 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 in the order before they're flying and who's analyzing the thermal and the race and did I turn two times too much in the thermal, etc. I think that more important is that true passion that we have that have in common uh, about flying. So and yeah well I think it's also about the time which you can spend by flying like the person who is really taking it so serious, I'm not sure if you can do this for one year or five years, but can you do this for more than 25 years? Probably not. But if you enjoy it, uh, yeah, you can do it for a long period. And yeah, I remember Thorsten from long, long time ago. He started, I think, even before me. So yeah well that's it so you can stay for long if you really if, if it's real passion and you really enjoy it and for me i started to be a little bit like it was too much flying for me in 2006 and then i said okay it's time for break so in 2007 i took break i had my son and then then i realized like in one two years that yeah life is good but i'm missing something so then i came back in, in competitions like already 2008. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask, uh, you've told me something quite interesting. Was it a conscious decision for you, and you don't have to answer this, please. Uh, was it a conscious decision for you to have a baby at that stage? Was it something that was calling you as a, as a woman, as a lady, as a, as a potential mother? You met your husband, then you said, I take a break and I make a child, or how was it? And please feel free not to answer the question if you don't want to. <laughs> no problem to answer this question. It's quite quite simple. Well, I think it's like I, I never was really big fan of, of kids or something. When I was young, it was something not really yeah close for me. But when I was 30, which was this like 97, 
it changed and in one moment I knew I want to have a kid. It was really like I just yeah something happened and I knew I want to have a kid. So everything came in this moment and yeah we we were together for a long time before with my husband. It was not a husband but then we said okay we will make the marriage and uh, big party in the mountains. <laughs> and then we yeah we we tried and it worked out our great son. <laughs> Maybe he was really happy at that time that he thought, wow, there's going to be more sex than I've ever had in my life now because she really wants a child. Anyway, that's just a side joke, Petra. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's a funny story, but uh, our kid was born exactly nine months after the big party in Australia for the celebrating uh, the world champion title in 2007, <laughs> we won as a Czech team, I won as a girl, and I think Thomas was like on podium. So, yeah, we had really big party and my husband wasn't there. And then I arrived home and just then it must happened because my son was born exactly nine months after that big party. <laughs> but luckily he looks exactly like my husband, so no problem at all. <laughs> I won't tell you the joke about the white priest who arrives in a small African village and all the goats are black. Uh, sorry, all the goats are white except one goat is black. And one day a small child is born and the child is not entirely black in the village. So the, the village chief quickly calls the priest over and he says, listen, we need to talk. And the priest very quickly whispers, if you don't say anything about the goats, I don't say anything about the child. <laughs> well <laughs> so my question you have come along to show not only the girls how to fly being multiple world champion uh european champion but you also show the big boys how to fly last year in macedonia on the gin leopard you came with a fantastic result first in the world's inner task then while looking i also found that you have a PWC task win. Okay, that's quite a big thing uh, to come along as a lady and say, right, I'm going for it. I have witnessed it myself flying a Boomerang 10 and you flying a Carrera or a Carrera Plus and you were also arriving at goal at the same time. Is there something you want to give us, some kind of tips or some kind of uh, insight into anything from a beginner tip up until a cross country or I think there is one really important thing for flying that you should really uh, be happy with your paraglider. Because if you fly a little bit more performing glider, which you don't feel really comfortable on, then you cannot use the performance anyway. So for me, like this year, I also stayed with Leopard because I really like this END glider, which is really easy to fly way easier than the boomerang 10 or 11 and it's it's big difference and i can see that my results can be the same with the leopard and with the with the boomerang because i can use the full performance of the wing and i can see that a lot of pilots is trying to take really really like one step higher wing than they should fly or they would feel comfortable on 
And then they are fighting with it and they are not happy and they don't want to fly too much because they are a little bit scared and and it doesn't work. Then you don't fly full bar because you are scared. And so for this, I always say, take the glider which you really trust you can fly and you, you are comfortable with, and then you will make the best result. And that's, yeah, and then for sure, using your own head is sometimes helping you to make the result, but it's not the way of thinking of, of the competitions now, because now it's like one big gaggle, and this big gaggle is usually super strong and super fast. And as I'm a little bit old school pilot, I'm not having too much fun inside this gaggle, so that's how it happened also for me in, in Macedonia that I won the task in the Worlds, uh, that I decided to go my, my own way. I had nothing to lose because I already knew that the competition result will be not nothing really spectacular for me. So I said, okay, I'll try the other way and we will see. And it worked out because I know the place really well and, and yeah, that was nice. <laughs> and yeah, so I think the, the important thing is to choose the right wing for you. It doesn't have to be the most performing one. <laughs> I, I think that uh, those are very wise words. Um, a lot of pilots are, of course, looking at a guy who's flying a hotter wing than them. And uh, it's often said that you'll go to a flying site and you'll take off. But he's got the fancy equipment and he's got the D or CCC glider. So you have to follow him. And I think you'll agree with me, Petra, that the sign of what the guy flies is not an indication of how he or she flies. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe I understand your comment correctly in maybe think very hard before you go up from a C glider or from a B glider to a C glider. What, what is your comment? Do you want to reinforce what you're saying or clear up a bit more? Well, it's even for the beginner gliders, like if the people they make school and then they are forcing them to to buy the ENB wing. And I'm always pushing them for ENA because why do you want to fly the ENB? And it's in all the classes is the same. It's like, okay, why? Why do you want more performance? Because the ENA gliders now are flying the same, I would say it's the same performance, maybe even better than the competition gliders 20 years ago or 25. So what do you expect from the glider? And for me, like after the school, the pilot should expect for sure safety and to learn how to climb and fly somewhere with the ENA glider, you can fly 50 or 100 Ks easy when you are a good pilot. So still it's about the pilot. So why to push yourself to go to ENB and then, then what? Then you will make some mistake with the, with the judging of the meteo and you will jump to the lee side, you will be surprised, and then you will stop flying only because you will get hurt. That's for nothing. So it's better to have safer wing, which can save you from, from, the, from the beginner mistakes. And then for the next step to go, then after one, two years, for sure, you see you want something more, you are super comfortable, and then you can take the ENB. And then it's another step. And like this, it's, it's just coming yeah, step by step. I don't see reason to make two big steps and and yeah, you have to be really comfortable with what you you are flying. But on the other hand, with the ENB wings now, you can have really big flights and big pleasure. So why to force yourself to something more? If I wouldn't fly the competitions or the World Cups, I would not push more myself to, to fly any super performing wing. 
No, I mean, you're really, really saying something super interesting and it's not just bullshit. You know, it's a, it's a, you're, you're not selling anything. You're not selling people a gliders. You're just telling people something deep from your heart. And that's what I appreciate on these podcasts that people are really, really saying it correctly. And I appreciate that. And uh, it's very valuable. Stay, look, look at you. You are flying, flying a bee glider on the Carrera when you were smoking us. Uh, I'm sure you remember the, the task where we landed at the nice eating place with a big swimming pool where we turned into a pool party later in the afternoon. On that day, you did exceptionally well. If you weren't first, you were second or third to, to gold in a pre-PWC competition in Greece. You have a very, very funny story to tell us about your husband and a small bet you had when you were in Monaco. Yeah, well, everybody's thinking like when you are three times world champion, it was clear that you will be one day world champion. But when I started flying, I was beginner as everybody else. And in the time when nobody knew anything about flying, there were no books, like real books to, to read some tapes and no, you know, there were no advices at all. So we had to learn everything about flying on our own skin. Uh, yeah, when I started, I was not flying well, and uh, the World Cup was already running, and it was super far to, to, to look at these guys. They were like sky gods for me, so it was something, yeah, for sure, it was far away, and I was not even thinking about this, this level that days. And one day, I don't remember the, the year, but the Audi TT was completely brand new car in the Monaco where we went for flying uh, almost every year in, in winter, like February. And um, I looked at this car shop or this showroom. Yeah, showroom. And I talked to my time like, yeah, I would like to have this car one day. And he looked at me pretty serious and said, okay. If I will be the world, if you will be the world champion, I will buy you one. <laughs> but I don't have it yet. <laughs> Probably he's waiting that it will be the all timer. <laughs> but you did win the world championships that time, and he didn't buy it for you. We're going to have to get your husband on record here. <laughs> yeah, well, the problem is that I had a choice to have this car, used one, but at least this one, the TT. But the problem is that we are living in the mountains and he gave me a choice that if I have a this sport a small car or I could have my car for the mountains. So, yeah, it was a little bit my choice. <laughs> you know, when we played chess last year together in uh, Slovenia, we had a wonderful, um, you have your two beautiful Ridgebacks. And I'm always very afraid when I see your Ridgeback because... Uh, they are dogs that used to hunt lions in Zimbabwe. Well, it was Rhodesia back then. Yeah, well, Steph, I don't think that my dogs are a reason to be afraid because they are sleeping like this at home. <laughs> and I don't think they have anything to, to do with the, with the dogs who are hunting the lions. <laughs> they are really lovely and uh, they are part of your children I think uh, they are your your two kind of four-legged children that you have am I correct? Yeah exactly I really like them <laughs> yeah, They give you guys uh, evidently much pleasure when I saw you having them around you and constantly walking you even this podcast uh, you said sorry I'm doing something much more important than a podcast I'm walking my dogs that's great uh, at the moment, homeschooling, which we discussed just before the podcast, is more difficult than expected because as children are 13 and 14 years old, so the maths problems that we are presented with as adults suddenly become very complicated. Um, 
you work with gin? Do you work officially with gin? Do you test for them? Uh, at the moment, for gin, I'm working just like the that I'm importing gin gliders into the Czech. I'm the, the main important importer of gin gliders for Czech. And uh, I'm the compilot, but as you see, we have no competitions this year, so it's a little bit hard. <laughs> and um, yeah, to, not to go to Brazil was for me a really, really sad moment when I realized that we are not coming to Super Final. I was really sitting at home and like, ah, what I will do? <laughs> I really missed this, this comp and, and yeah. For sure, also travel, because traveling is part of the fun on, on flying. It's like travel to Brazil. It's something what I really love. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, in winter, I work as a ski teacher. And uh, I make a couple of small things beside this. Uh, so it's it's many little things which I do. And I'm not the person who would need to go at 7 to work or 6. And uh, come back at four every day. It's it's not my dream, so that's yeah, that doesn't happen to me yet, and or not now at least. <laughs> it happened to me one year of my life that I had to go every day to the work. I made um, in the hotel, the front in the front office of the hotel. <laughs> I was working for one year, and then I started uh, not to be too happy with the people. So then. Then I was happy to be back in the paragliding business and sometimes I fly tandem, sometimes I, yeah, I help some friends to teach and let many little things. I'm the manager of the Czech, uh, Czech team, that's also like a little bit of work to, to manage that everybody, especially with Czech pilots, it's hard to manage that everybody is in, make, make inscription for the worlds in time. <laughs> So it's yeah many many little things, but most of them are quite relaxed and nice, and I can't complain. <laughs> How many years have you been a ski instructor? And tell us about that. Uh, have you got some specialization in ski instructor? Do you have something that you really love, or say something about it? Yeah, I used to be the ski teacher when I was, I was young. Uh, like uh, yeah, when I was at university, every winter I spent in the mountains. And that's also why I moved to, or one part of the, the, the reason why I moved to the place where I am now, because I grown up in Prague and I'm really a city girl when I was, or I was city girl when I was small. But yeah, luckily I became to be like with paragliding and kayak and everything, like a lot of time in the mountains and in the nature. And that's why I said, I want to live in the nature and in the mountains. So I moved to the north of Czech, to the mountains. And now I'm living like close to my home is two or three nice takeoffs. And I can just drive 20 minutes and be on the, on the, on the hill. That's quite nice. So yeah, and for the ski teaching, I don't have really specialization. I work for my friends, which which uh, has a school, and they are mainly small kids. So we are teaching small kids now. When I was young, it were more adults, but now it's kids, and I enjoy the kids much more. They are so nice. Sometimes it's really cute, and and it's it's nice that you make them pleasure. Oh, that's wonderful. It sounds just great. And you do all this work in the Czech Republic, do you? Your tandem flying, your uh, ski teaching and all of that. All your work is in Czech Republic. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit patriot. <laughs> it means like I, yeah, great. I'm happy to be at home. <laughs>
Yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, you have so many opportunities. You, I'm sure you've been offered all sorts of opportunities all around the world. And it's so nice to see somebody that's from somewhere that doesn't turn their back on their country and say, oh, no, actually, you know what? There's much greener pastures or the sun is shining more in the south of Europe or, uh, oh, I'm going to move to this place or that place and do this and that and abandon their home. I think that's quite admirable. I think it's quite a great thing. And your very simple way of living, yet your absolutely brilliant way of flying, I think says a lot about you, Petra, really. What did you study at university, please? Sport and chemistry. <laughs> and finally, I finished because of the sport, because they didn't want to allow me to go to competitions for paragliding. They want me to every day at school for the sport. And yeah, I was not, not, yeah, not able to, I, was, I didn't want to stop paragliding, so that's, that's I said, okay, then I have to stop the school. <laughs> but yeah, for the chemistry, it was no problem. They said, okay, you know everything, so you can just come for the exams. If you know it, we will let you go. <laughs> but with sport, it was difficult because they prefer someone who knows everything a little bit and they are not really interested in the teachers who are like really good in one thing. And they, yeah, for sure, for me, it was like athletic, was not so easy. And yeah, and if you don't visit the school too often, it's hard to learn it also. So they were really precise that you must sit at school and go there every day. <laughs> uh, since you've said it to me and you completely surprised me when you said that you were at the reception of a hotel, I have to say, I, I just cannot imagine you doing that job, Petra. So I'm glad you are still not working as a receptionist at a hotel. <laughs> I was really kind, mainly. <laughs> well, you said something about you that's really important on this, and I would like to, again, uh, um, speak of this wonderful lady that I'm looking at in front of me. Petra, since I've known you, you've always been somebody to come forth, always offer help to people. You're not somebody who's kind of, I don't want to say some ladies very the community are a little bit uh, on the side or whatever, but it just seems that you are coming forth and saying, Anybody is absolutely, and you actually are there. You're, you're on the forefront uh, doing that. Um, it brings me to a little bit of a contentious question. It's not a super difficult question, and it's not one that you, again, need to answer if you don't want to. That's, uh, well, should we separate the classes? Why should we separate the classes? What is your feeling? It's many years ago when I started to be quite good pilot in the World Cups. And there was Louis Crandall this time, uh, the girl, the world champion from Denmark. We were really good friends. Actually, this is something really nice that I can feel that with most of the girls, which were the heroes one time, like with Sandy Koshpen, which was the hero when I started, we became real friends. So when we meet us now, I, I can feel we are friends. With Louis, we were super good friends. And with most of the girls, we are really cool friends. And yeah, Louis told me one day, Petra, forget about the girls and race with the with the men's. And this was something what what like moved my level of flying way higher because if you really just concentrate for the girls, especially like now if you come to the FAEI 2 comp and the French girls are not there, then you can for sure to beat the girls, it's not that difficult. So it's like you can fly carefully to be every day in the goal and you have big chance to be on the podium but on the other hand there is the fun it's like so and why it's it's like yeah so that's why i said always like let's 
okay, let's raise it everybody. And then for sure, it's nice to have the separate results. I think the thing, there are also boys who are telling like, and why you have your, your ranking separate. I think for girls, it's a little bit different for the like psychical thing, because when the girl crash, it's way harder to come back. And most of us crash sometimes. So it's like, even for me, like when I crashed, uh, the first time I crashed was in 1996 in Norway for the my first European Championship. And um, yeah, for sure, it was hard for me even to start flying again. And, and yeah, to, to delete this from my head was really difficult. And I think this is the mentality is, is different for the girls than from, for the boys. And the second thing for the super long flights, when we go to Kishada or somewhere, you can see there that the man's physical ability is better for this long, you know, time in the air and and stuff like this for sure. It's it's yeah, it's a little bit different. The body is different, so that's it. But for sure, yeah. But to to race to say like okay, we should fly the half distance. I don't agree. Or we should fly separately, completely. I can't imagine that I would go to the competition where it would be only thirty girls and that's it. It would be no fun. <laughs> I think deep down inside, Petra, you like beating them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but for sure it's fun to beat the guys. <laughs> That's what it's all about. It's racing. It's fun on the day. And it's so, so nice. That's quite an interesting thing. I remember Louise. Uh, I met her a few times. Actually, I was half in love with Louise at one stage. I thought she was just a woman for me. I think about 100 other pilots at the time thought the same thing. So, And of course, Sandy, she, she was an absolute legend in paragliding, talking about names. And, uh, I saw Sandy last year. I passed uh, Chamonix for the very first time in my life. I met uh, Fred from Chamonix Parapente. And uh, he showed me, oh, that's Sandy flying. I was like, wow, that's Sandy. That's what she looks like now. So fantastic, yeah. But of course, some of the girls these days are flying also very, very well. Uh, like Merle is really showing and uh, flying some big distances there in Brazil and all that. In general, uh, ladies, of course, have to fly smaller size gliders. Do you feel that a smaller size glider today is a disadvantage to a larger, larger size? Before you answer the question, I just want to make a comment about, and nothing against Jin, but I had a Boomerang 10 small, and it certainly wasn't going as well as the Boomerang 10 medium or large. Yeah, well, I think it's it's really difficult, and it depends on the model of the of the glider. For sure, as, as you said, the, the Boom 10, I also knew that the small size was a little bit worse than the larger sizes. But in some other other models, you can get this performance better. It's like, I think the Enzo now is, is not having bad performance even with this small size. But they are still like the girls who are really small, they are fighting to get even for the small one. And that's a little bit problem for sure. If you have 45 kilo, 50 kilo, it's super difficult, but as they now make the rules that you can take as much ballast as you want, up to, I don't know, 95 kilo or something like this, I'm not sure if it's the right decision because on the other hand, it forced the small girls to take like more ballast and it's it's not safe to fly with a lot of ballast. It's, this is also my experience. I 
for the world championship i wanted to have a little bit better performance so i took the leopard m because i said it will fly better so i flew the m size with a lot of ballast for me it was a lot of ballast but still less than these small girls are are sometimes bringing yeah then after the comb i said okay now it's time to change and i took i took the the small size of leopard and since then i'm flying the small size and i'm super happy with also with the small size but yeah for sure for the for the little the, the problem is that for the big big competitions like the world cup now every little performance counts so it's yeah it's hard and for sure the difference sometimes there is bigger difference sometimes smaller that's but it's it's like every glider, every model, it's it's different. Yeah. For sure, I haven't had a chance to try the leopard, but man, that thing is flying very very nicely. Oh, really, congratulations! That's I know you don't have so much to do with the construction, but I'm sure you are always giving feedback and saying, guys, I would have said this is a little bit. I, I would prefer it more like this or like that. Do you give feedback to Jen? Are they listening to you uh, one way or another? I'm not really part of the development team, for sure, when I like something or when I don't like, we, we talk, but uh, we have really a lot of good pilots also in my way, so I think this is work for the guys, they are really good on that, so it's no reason to discuss. And also the, the boys, they don't like any bad comments, so I should be anyway nice. <laughs> no. But now, now I'm really... <laughs> Now I'm really happy with the wing yeah. and, and I enjoy the flying so much with the Leopard. Last uh, autumn we had a competition, there was a competition in um, Indonesia, in uh, Batudua, in the Sumedang. And I was so happy to be there with the, with the Leopard because there is a little bit spe special flying. And the handling gave me exactly the feeling which you, which you want to have. It's like some gliders are not giving you the feedback where the thermal is. But this one is just giving you super, super good feedback. And this is what I like, because I don't like to wait for the gaggle and fly together with the gaggle. So I, I was really happy to, to feel the wing and to feel the air through the wing. Yeah. <laughs> just something that I've observed as I've gotten a little older. Obviously, you know, I was a clown professionally. I had a lot to do with children and I studied children and I studied their parents. And I noticed that some ladies are starting to get more cautious or, or some of them even get very, very afraid of a lot of things after they have had a child. You feel that's happened to you in any way? Yeah, I don't know. But for sure, I, what I feel is when I'm getting older, because I'm not so young anymore, even I feel young, but still the age is there, I can feel that. From something, especially the new things, I'm a little bit, or a little bit, even more afraid than I would be when I was 20. When I was 20, I could do anything like climbing or whatever. And now when I go on the rock, like just for Via Ferrata, and I look down and I feel like, ah. So for sure, I can feel this is different. Yeah. But I would say it came with the with the age, not with the kid. With the kid, it was for sure also like one big big step. If you set it up in your head that that nothing really changed, and uh, for sure you have more responsibility and you should be more careful. Uh, but you should not really think about it in the air because it doesn't work anyway. It's like 
if you decide to fly and go for comps, you should stay doing the same as before. If you don't, then you crash just before you because you are trying to be safer. That's my feeling. Oh yes, earlier I asked you about the best and the worst glider that uh, you've ever owned. And when I asked you, do you remember the worst glider? Even now you're starting to smile and laugh. And your answer was, yo, 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 explain it to me. <laughs> oh, yo, yo, yeah. If you ask someone who is like competition pilot, especially for some brand for the best and worst, worst glider, it's super difficult, you know, even if it should be the glider from the last year, you, you would hesitate to tell this. I'm quite lucky that uh, for this question I don't have to hesitate to answer because uh, my worst glider, which I would say, actually worst, yeah, worst by behaving, I would say, was like in this 1996. I was flying for a re really small company. I don't think anyone know this company. It's a little Czech company, Pegas, that were the friends where I made the, I made the course. They are really nice guys and they made a glider called Tango and the glider was already quite high aspect ratio for the time and was not really easy to fly this wing already like it was a competition wing and, and yeah and quite demanding and as I was selected for my first European championship I said okay now it's time to show to the world that I'm good so I need a good glider. So I asked the friends to make the glider with more high aspect ratio. So they put it like two or three cells in between. And uh, yeah, when I was asking, I was used to get what I'm asking for. <laughs> and yeah, with this glider, when I made training for these Europeans, I, it was not really rare that my glider was like, like half, half, what's the word? <laughs> like... Yeah. One big cravat, <laughs> and I had to make like two, three full stalls to get out of this cravat. It happened to me like, and I was young and not scared, and I never crashed before, so I didn't know it can hurt. <laughs> so yeah, this glider was quite demanding, and then in I took this to Norway for the for the championship Europeans when we were not flying much. It was quite bad weather and cold, and yeah, I crashed there with this glider. For sure, part of the thing was, was the glider and part was me because I was thinking if I would take this glider now, if I would be able to fly it like with no problem or if the glider was so demanding. I think it was combination that I didn't have the skills and the glider, which I forced to be more aspect ratio, was really demanding. So it was like, yeah, bad combination. And yeah, my best glider, I can say I have couple of really or I had and have a couple of good really good gliders and usually I can't say it's the most like performing wings like if I would I if I would say the glider was good I will not say that it was the fastest one I usually speak about the like feedback which is giving to me so it's I would say that the glider had the nice handling and I really enjoyed the wing or was not collapsing at all when I talk to my friends, like, yeah, I really loved the boomerang. My first boomerang, the last uh, open class was the eight, I think. Eight, yeah. Boom eight. And I had one piece which was really cool. It was super nice glider and it never collapsed. I was really scared that once it will collapse, 
I will have problem, but it never collapsed. And I, I really loved the wing because it gave me the nice, nice feedback for thermaling and everything. And I really liked it. So it was funny that everybody was like, yeah, this is really hot wing. And, and I liked it. But for sure now with the easy gliders like the E&D Leopard, it's, it's super nice to fly. And I'm also super, super happy. So yeah, many. But also I can enjoy the glider in the lower classes. You remember the Carrera or I had the Explorer like two years ago. I flew Explorer for a couple of flights and it's super nice glider. So last year I bought the Bonanza 2. I was also I had a couple of nice flights and long flights, which, yeah, you can really have fun. So, yeah, many good wings. <laughs> Suddenly, as you speak of the Boomerang 8, I'm thinking of my Boomerang 9 and my Boomerang 10. And I'm remembering the little, the Boomerang 10 was always giving the little in. Uh, uh, and then they did a line change and suddenly it wasn't anymore. Wow, great. Eh? And then the Boomerang 9, I think how solid it was. But then I'm thinking through my mind. How would the Boomerang 9 compare to today's uh, hottest gliders, you know? Um, yeah, wow. I agree. And I really love what you said earlier, Petra, about us taking a step down on gliders, you know? Um, I have uh, just a B glider, uh, one of the older mentors, uh, which is a light glider for my hike and fly if I go to Table Mountain or just for some hobby flying. And I have to say, I have equally pleasure on this glider. And Maybe just because you have such a nice, solid feeling about it, you're not kind of stressing all the time that you have to be that much more on edge. You can kind of just take that step back and relax. You know? Petra, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I think this is perfect. I think we're at the stage we can wrap it. If you've got another funny story or something else you want to tell us. Yeah, I think we have to stay positive. Not COVID positive, but positive. And uh, we should have fun and take it easy because I think all will be fine one day again. <laughs> In Czech, we are we are lucky that we can fly already, and I think it's coming to every country that that flying will be allowed again, and all of us will be happy again. So all the best, and thank you for podcast. Thank you to you. It was nice to hear you. Cheers. Cheers. Big hug. <laughs>